Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. Uh, today I'm very excited because things are starting to happen. Our industry is starting to crack open the door. Uh, I myself, I am in, uh, I got on an airplane just a few days ago and flew to Dubai I will be here for a while, so you'll be hearing me on a new microphone. I'm in a hotel room in Dubai. I'm back to work uh, doing uh, Expo Dubai. So uh, I will be here. I'll be happy. I haven't touched a console in several months. I'm really looking forward to that. Tomorrow will be my best, my first day to see a console in months. I've been staring at my computer screen for longer than I have in a very long time, which started to bring me to think about all the people who are going to be returning. And I would imagine they're going to be going through something very similar that to what I went through. I got the phone call to get on a job, but at the same time, and I was very excited. It would have been really dumb to turn it down. However, I also had to face the very natural situation of like, Hey, so this show is, has been delayed since 2020. The, the budget isn't exactly where it should have been. We really need some people out there. We really want you because you know you're the you're the one who's the, worked with us the most, and we're very comfortable with you. But at the same time, can you kind of negotiate with us on your rate? And I had to really do some soul searching. I had to go to and talk to my wife, and we had to make some really hard decisions of you know what to do what am i worth what is how much how much do i want this job how much do i want to be out of town i don't usually like being out of town for a long time but at the same time it's a lot of money these are a lot of questions and there's really nobody that you can go to other than my than my family to discuss this because i kind of grew up in a place where that was a, a taboo topic is to talk about rates and there there's no there's no open source platform where you can go to see, well, how much is it for a programmer in Dubai for six months for a thing, you know? So I thought I would have an open source discussion to kind of fill that void. And when I think of open transparency, one of the first names that came to mind was Mike Wood. He is a lighting designer and director and educator out of Nashville. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your willingness to talk about this with me. Absolutely, Chris. I'm, I'm excited. It's one of those topics that I, I feel very passionately about, especially in my facet of the industry. So I'm, I'm excited for this. Cool. And I think this is a perfect time to have the conversation because there is going to be a lot of people going through that exact uh, scenario where, you know, people who have had long-term clients and friendships and relationships 
are going to be asked to really stretch themselves to help each other out. And we have to know where the boundaries are. Absolutely. I mean, the, the situation you just described is one that I've gone through recently too, you know, like almost to a T a little bit less scale, not, not six months, but you know, offers for a couple of weeks to go out and um, had all those exact same conversations that you just talked about of, you know, what, what is the worth, you know, this last year spending at home, being able to be with my family and stuff has put a lot of things in a, even a different perspective than I had necessarily pre COVID. And so as we start to kind of have all of those conversations and that, uh, and things start to come back, I think it's really important for us to talk about as an industry and as people, um, just as people in the industry, you know, as friends and as, as colleagues, because, What's, what's that, what's that, uh, the saying it's like, uh, a rising tide rises, raises all boats or something like that. Yeah. You know, if we, if we're attribute all, that one to JFK, I think he said, is that, that, yeah, but yeah, it, it's, you know, if we, it's if we can all Confucius, talk, but well, let's all just say JFK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if we can, you know, if we can all lift each other up and, and help each other in that, then it only helps everybody, you know, that's kind of my philosophy on, on it as a whole. Yeah. What sort of obligation do we have to one another to discuss our rates? Because I clearly, on a, if I was at a fast food joint, yeah, I, I would be able to talk about it because we all kind of make the same. But out on the road, and I would imagine in theater, there's, there's a little bit more of a hierarchy where you know, we don't all make the same. And, and I think some people might be upset and some people might be relieved to know they make or don't make more or less than somebody else. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. And I, and I should preface kind of this conversation too, with most of my work is in the live theater world. And so, you know, everything I I'll say today is kind of coming at it from that lens, but I think that there are similarities in the music world and in the corporate world and stuff like that. Um, maybe at different scales at times, but the, the principles to me are the same, but I, I think that, you know, I, I'm a very, I, I'm a, I'm a union designer. I'm a member of eight of United Scenic Artists. Um, I believe very strongly in the power of collective bargaining and of, again, like of all of us working together to make things better for all of us. I am, I am more than happy to say I make X amount to somebody. And, you know, I, I think that putting that context is important and being able to say, you know, I started this company at this time. I was making this at that time. And I've, you know, done X amount of shows since then. And we've worked up to this rate or whatever. Because I think the fear and the fear that I've heard from people when, when I say that is like, well, then everybody's going to want that. And I said, okay, well, that's great. But the people who might not necessarily be able to command a rate as high as what I might be making or something like that, they're not, I don't think that, I think that there's a kind of this natural selection that happens within the industry of like, if you're talented and you can, and you can make those rates, then you will keep getting hired at those rates. If, mm -hmm. uh, and if, if somebody comes in fresh out of college, for example, and tries to make, you know, however many thousands of dollars on a show, they probably won't be able to because the producer is going to be able to look at that resume and say, okay, well, you've had no experience. You've not done this. You've not done that um, versus somebody else who has. So I think that there's a little bit of that, that, that happens naturally. Um, but I don't think, I don't think that there's anything wrong with sharing and saying, okay, you know, on this, on this musical, I made $4,000 or something like that. And it's up to then the person hearing that information to kind of compare and contrast and say, okay, well, this is where that person is at their career. Here's where I am at my career. Mm -hmm. um, that's been my experience at least that I think that then it's worked pretty well. 
Okay. And even you know within my team, and you mentioned all you know, the different hierarchies and the different positions and stuff like that. Like I, I have a team of people that I try to get hired on most of the theatrical projects that I work on, and we're all very open with each other. They know what I'm making, I know what they're making, and that, and you know, I help negotiate for them. You know, I've got two associates that work with me on most of my projects, and when we go to a producer, I'll say like, okay, here's what you know, here they are. I'm gonna let them negotiate, but I will advocate for them and I will stand up for them and, and make sure that they're being taken care of. And make sure that uh, that they're happy and comfortable with whatever it is. Oh, that sounds like a really good situation. It sounds like you have a very strong team of people that are collectively working to keep those rates where mm-hmm. they belong. Absolutely, and and I've and I've kind of fostered that in in geographic regions that I've worked that I've worked in. So I'm originally from the like the Tampa St. Pete area in Florida, and I worked there for a long time, and I still do some occasional shows there. But that was something that I worked very hard on with some of the other designers in the area. And that was to say, okay, what are you making on this? And we found out that, you know, different theaters were paying wildly different rates or that, you know, people at similar skill levels and experience levels were making wildly different rates. And once we started talking to each other and kind of saying, this isn't okay and we need, you know, this is what we need, the theaters changed. And they, you know, pretty soon after, you know, they were offering union contracts on things. They were doing, you know, the things got better. But, you know, I wonder how long those issues before a bunch of us got involved, how long those issues have been persisting, you know, and nobody would have ever known if we wouldn't have just started talking to each other and, and finding out the, the facts, you know. Oh, man, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. So the, first one I, the first one I want to get into is that we, I think we all understand that geographics plays a major role in our rates. Absolutely. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to make the same in New York as I do in Louisiana. Oh, absolutely. And that's an important thing for people to learn. I've had, you know, I know people who have been in areas where they're making pretty decent, you know, market rates for that area. And then, you know, they'll say, well, I'm not going to do this show unless I make X amount of dollars. And, you know, hey, that's really great that you can take a principled stand like that. But if none of the companies in your area can do that, because I mean, let's be honest, it is still theater. The budgets are not as high as in other genres. Um, and other areas of the industry. So like all you're doing at that point is making yourself, making it impossible for you to get hired because you're pricing yourself out of the market. So my take on that is instead, it's better to to work to rate, raise those things over time than to take a, you know, this is now my rate. And if you don't pay it, I'm not working for you. If you're working in the same area all the time, you know what I mean? And and I've had I've had success with that. And I've seen people go the opposite way where they've just said, I'm, I'm going to make X amount of dollars on a show now, or you can't hire me. And then they just stop getting hired because they don't, you know, nobody could afford it. Yeah. That's a tough one because it requires a team of people to work on that for over an amount of time. It, one person mm-hmm. is just throwing rocks at a wall. If they're trying to do that, that way you right. can't just, you know, if, if only one person turns down the gig and they get replaced immediately, then you really don't have any collective bargaining at your disposal. Right. But you got a well, team of the, people saying no, that job requires more money, then you've right. got a you've got to stand. Well, and it's I think it also goes beyond just the money at that point. You know, uh, for example, I, I used to work at a, at a couple of, of smaller regional theaters where you know they wanted to hire a person to do lighting, and that meant they wanted you to do the they wanted you to be the production electrician, they wanted you to be the designer, they wanted you to be the programmer, stuff like that. But they would pay, you know, of course, a rate that was equal to one of those positions and not or maybe one and a half of those positions and not the three to five people that it should have been. So Mm -hmm. so then it's a question of like, okay, can we 
if, if they're not going to offer more money on a contract, I've also had luck, which it doesn't make a lot of sense because you would think, okay, just offer them more money because you're going to create two positions. It's going to cost you the same amount anyway. But uh, so, but it's been like, okay, well then I need you to start hiring a production electrician on these shows. And then if somebody else comes in there and insists on the same thing, then they start to say, okay, well, maybe this is something that we need. And, and then you start, you know, you slowly start to change that mindset and that model at those companies. And then, you know, but then you always deal with, you deal with them, you deal with the young person who will come in right out of school and say, oh no, I'll do it for $600 and I'll hang it and I'll focus it and I'll do all the stuff for myself. And it's very hard to, it's impossible to compete with something like that. And that's where you, the two things you can hope is that number one, that they'll notice a quality difference, both in the process Mm -hmm. and in the product. And two, that you can then hopefully reach to reach out to that young person or to that person coming in and be like, Hey, let's chat. And let's like, let's talk about let's talk about the history of this and you know, what we can do to help each other. And I've found that to be good in the past. Yeah. I think 22 year old me would really love to undercut 40 year old me, but 22 year old me has a Subaru and a small apartment. Right. You know, now I've got kids and a wife and a dog and houses and you know, yeah, I got a few more things. I mean, I have to keep my game up to, to keep 22 year old me from undercutting myself. Exactly. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that part of our job as I say the, the older generation at this point, which seems weird for me to, I, I feel really old when I say that, but there, you know, there is, there's a lot of younger people than me doing this now too. I'm in my, I'm in, I'm in my early thirties, right. I'm 33. And, you know, there are, there's tons of people coming out of school who are, who are just as talented, if not more talented than I am. And so it's, it's trying to get them to understand that, yes, you might be 22 and you might be able to do all of this stuff, but it's not going to be sustainable for you long-term. And you're going to not only burn yourself out, but you're also doing an active disservice to the other people in this industry who were, you know, who maybe can't, you know, that who, who can't afford to even, even another 22 year old who might not be able to afford to take that price break or, or whatever. And they are getting younger too. The technology yeah. is just <laughs> opening up our market to younger and younger people. Oh, it's insane. Tough. Yeah. I, I look at some of the opportunities. So uh, two weeks ago, I was down in Tampa working on a, on a little project for the performing arts school. And I was watching some of these, you know, 13, 14 year olds in their tech theater program who were, they're able to program con- uh, the stuff that they're able to do now. I would have killed to have been able to, to know and to do uh, when I was that age. And it's all because the technology is so much more easy to access and, and the software is, you know, ETC makes all their stuff free. And so these kids are learning they don't know how to program EOS before they even get out of high school sometimes. <laughs> and it's, it's really cool, but it's intimidating too. Cause I'm like, Oh God, I gotta, I gotta keep my skills up. <laughs> Do you, did your parents sign off on your work visa for you to start doing this? You know what, <laughs> how did you get here? How are you so young? How do you know all this? I stuff? know. I know it's insane. More, more online. I know I had, a, I had this, I, he had to be no more than 14 came to me when I was at the school. And was like, I, he's like, I've been, I, I've been following you for a while. And I just want to say, like, I want to do exactly what you're doing. And like, I want to be, I want to be a Broadway lighting designer one day when I grow up and, and here's how I'm going to do it. And I laid out this entire 10 year plan for me and stuff. And I was like, all right, when I was your age, like, I just wanted to get to AP geometry or AP uh, geography in time. Like I didn't, I didn't know any of this. It was so impressive, but like, I'm like, oh my gosh, just have a childhood, be, uh, enjoy this while you can. <laughs> it was really something. Wow. That is yeah. a, that's the motivation. I, you, what can we do, but to just applaud him and say, you know, kind of yeah. funnel him in the right direction. Like, here you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. 
Well, it's, it's the kids like that that I meet too. Where I'm like, I, I want to follow them and I want to uh, see where their career goes because like that, that's the kind of drive and ambition that you need to have to be successful uh, to a certain extent. Um, and I find that it goes one of, do they either stick with it or in two years, they'll discover something else that they like more and, and go do that instead, which is fine. You know, I'm, whatever you need to do. <laughs> it sounds like your team and you're, the people that you were all discussing rates with all had it in mind to lift all boats. Whereas mm-hmm. other people will use the transparency to undercut somebody. I think that's where we have to really be careful about how we present the information. Like I, I, I wouldn't openly, willingly, you know, put my rate on my website or anything, but I would happily have a, a discussion amongst a few core people who asked me and I'd be happy to have that discussion how far should we share what our rates are and should we be selective about who we share it with? You know, I, I, I am a realist too. I, I realize that, you know, it's easy to take an idealistic stand and say, no, you should share it with everybody. It should be on your website. But I do know that what you just said is truth. Like there are people who were then come in and undercut it. So to me, where that line comes in is, is all about the personal relationships, both with colleagues and friends and also with the companies and producers that you're working for. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if I, I like to trust that a, a client that I've had for a couple of years who I've proven my worth to, and I've proven my, my skills and my abilities to, that they are not just going to go out and go with somebody who's going to just undercut my rate for some reason. And so I have, I have less problems just sharing that kind of information with one about a long-term client or something like that. Um, and, and I think it also says a lot about the clients I work with too, where I, I know that I have that trust in those personal relationships with them. And again, like I'm working, I'm coming in this from a different world than I think you are sometimes and that a lot of people probably listening to this are like in the music world or the rock, you know, the rock and roll world and stuff like that, where that is maybe a little bit more cutthroat and a little bit more, you know, somebody will come in and try to undercut you. So it's not as big of a deal in my work so far, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. A lot of it has to do with the union because in rock and roll, we're constantly definitely using the union as a barometer. Like mm-hmm. it would be, it would be suicide to go below union rates because then the union would sweep in and you would have, you would have union rates and everybody would be, you know, collectively bargaining. There's always that barometer to be competing against. Does, do you have that same? Yeah, I think it might, that might be just a thing that I look at too. I don't know if I can say that's widespread because, you know, uh, the, the way that United Scenic Artists works is it's very, you know, it, it, they, they let us really negotiate our own stuff for the most part. Like the, the, the concern is that we get work and that we are contributing to pension and health and stuff like that. So, you know, there, are, there is the rate sheet and stuff like that that the United Scenic Artists makes available. And like, if, you know, if, if you're a young theater designer right now and you're wondering what that is, like go to the USA 29 website and you can download that and you can see, you know, it's all based on especially for nonprofits, it's based on overall budgets. And they say, okay, if your theater's annual operating budget is between a million dollars and $2 million, then you should be paying X amount for a lighting design for this set or for, you know, for this musical or something like that. And those are all based on, you know, national averages from, from surveys and from data that the union has and stuff like that. So it's a really great jumping off point for those negotiations and for, the, for that information. Now that all being said, if I am working, you know, again, that's, that's the minimums, but if I'm working in a city where it's, you know, they're not going to pay a $4,000 fee, but they might pay a $3,000 fee. I do have that flexibility within those contracts where I can negotiate that 
and then still do it on a union contract and still get pension and benefits and stuff like that. So it works out really well. But I do think that a lot of my mentality of it does come from from a union standpoint and from a, a sense of of uh, of yeah, help trying to help everybody and trying to get everybody uh, get get everybody benefits and get everybody the base minimum of making a, a living life and a, work, a workable life in this industry. See, all that chart has to have come from transparency. A lot of people had to go yeah. in and log how much they make and how well, much the show profited. And yeah, and you know, and that's. And the, you know, of course the union has all that data, you know, so when I file a contract, like they know exactly what I'm making and they keep all of that. And that's also been super great when I'm working in a new city. Uh, if I'm, if I get approached by a theater company and they give me an offer for something, the first thing that I will do with that information is I will email uh, the New York business reps for 829 and I'll say, Hey, I just got this offer from this company. What do you think? Do you think it's in line? And you know, they don't, they don't share specific Contra previous contracts, but they'll say like, oh yeah, that's about average for what that city pays or what that company has paid in the past, or no, they're, they're undercutting you. You should, you should ask for more. So it's a nice little, um, they're not my agent, but it's a nice way to, you know, be able to kind of get that information and, and see, get an idea of what other people are getting paid. Oh, that sounds nice. I don't, yeah. I, maybe I'm missing, but I don't think anything like that exists on our side of the industry. I don't or, think so. No, I don't know if it could. I, I would imagine now these days we have so much open source information that we could make something like that happen. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it does. You know, there's been a lot of, of movements in the theater world to do that in the last couple of years. There, you know, there's been some big Google Sheets and stuff like that that have been shared where people can put in information about companies they work for and stuff. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it, it's hard to do something like that because number one, who organizes it? Number two, how do you make sure people are giving you the the true and correct information? You know, um, it, it's a lot of a lot of problems there, which is why I like the union stuff, because of, they, they have all the hard data. And again, they're not going to give me specific people's contracts from the past, but they will give me those ranges and say, you know, yes, this seems pretty reasonable and accurate for this company or this area or no, it does. Which has been great. So let me kind of fill you in on let me if you'll indulge me for one second. I want to tell you a story from the, the perfect storm happened where somebody asked me to uh, fill in for them for two or three shows. And they mentioned that one of the shows was at Red Rocks Amphitheater, which I had never played as a designer. I'd been there as a crew chief, but never as a designer. And I really wanted to help her out. And so she's like, okay, well, you're going to be in Texas. Why don't you go check out the show and learn the show? And then you can fill in for me for like two or three days. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I've got the time. I can do it. What I hadn't done was discuss the rate with her. She said to, I would have to reach out to the production manager who I was going to meet in Texas. He filled me in on the rate and I'm like, oh shit. Like, no, I don't work for that. So in one regard, I had already agreed to fill in for her, <laughs> mm -hmm. but then the rate came. And so maybe you can, you can be the judge on this one. I kind of had, she had already left. So I had to send her an email like, Hey, so I don't work for that little. And it was, you know, it was 350 a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so my rates like double that. And so I kind of did her a favor. I'm like, hey, I'm going to turn this gig down for you. And I'm going to let them know that that's not a good rate for what we do. Like you, you're, you're getting undercut right now. And from what I've heard from then, it's only worked out well for her. She's like, oh, wait a minute. I, that's, I thought yeah. that was a really good rate. And like, yeah, for a 19-year-old, that's a great rate. 
Yeah. But for somebody of your caliber, it's just not. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I've countless stories similar to that. Yeah. It's funny. I, I had a, a, a small theater once who, you know, it was a friend who was running it, stuff like that. And we got, it was a long story short, we got into the final thing and we started talking about it. And this is when I learned that it's something I like to talk about up front when I'm talking to a new producer, because I don't want to waste their time and I don't want them to waste my time. And if the rate <laughs> is going to be 350 a day, which, you know, in the theater world, 350 a day sometimes sounds wonderful because most of the theater rates are, you know, it's an overall flat fee. You know, it's not, we don't get a day rate. When I do corporate and other stuff like that, of course, I work on day rates, but uh, in the theater world, I get a flat design fee for stuff. And then I just have to make it happen within that. Um, but anyway, so long story, I, we got down to the end and it was like the exact same thing though. I was like, oh, I, I can't, I don't want to like leave you hanging out to dry right now because we've already been talking about this stuff, but it was kind of a lesson for me that I need to have those discussions up front because it was just not, not worth it at the end. You know what I mean? Like it just wasn't, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't going to be worth it. But, but yeah, I think the, the story you just told is awesome. I mean, you, you helped her realize that she could probably be getting a lot more. And, and I mean, that's, that's what this is all about to me. And I think it's especially important with underrepresented, uh, underrepresented communities in our industry too. Uh, you know, of course we're, you know, we're two white guys here sitting talking, but you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't, it, it, when, when you talk to somebody who, who traditionally be underpaid in, in, a, in this industry or in, in any industry, really, and you're able to get them to see that worth and then to be paid fairly and to, to be paid equally. Yeah. You're right. This is a tough conversation for two white guys to have, but I think we need to have it. So. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's when, you, when you're able to, to, to talk to people and to help them out and to talk, tell them rates and talk to them about those rates, it's only going to help people. And it's going to especially help people who are in those underrepresented communities to, to be paid what they're worth. You're absolutely right. Uh, recently I just heard a story. I did not know the story of local one and local one a, have you ever heard that story? No, I haven't. When the local was segregated, local one could work in New York city and local one a could not work inside the city. And then once local one a was consumed by local one, they discovered how much more local one was making because they had had rules where they said, you're not allowed to talk to them. And you should definitely never talk about rates. And that makes me wonder now, whenever anybody asks me if I should not be talking about rates, why? Why don't they want me talking about rates? The only, the silence in this kind of situation only helps the employer or the producer, you know? And it's like the only reason to not, in my opinion, the only reason to keep a rate a secret from another person you're working with is because the, the your employer or the producer doesn't want the other person to know that they're being underpaid. I mean, right. that's what it comes down to. I mean, it's not, and that's not unique to our industry. That's you, that's pretty universal in, in our world, unfortunately, you know, the, the, these corporate cultures of not talking about wages, not talking about rates. And then you find out, you know, you've worked at a company for 10 years with a, with a counterpart and that counterpart is making $20,000 a year more than you, you know, and what's that going to do? That's just going to make the underpaid person angry. And then the company has to deal with that. So it, it, in my opinion, it only helps, it only helps the employer. It doesn't help the worker. It doesn't help the, your friends, your colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a situation, especially in, in Northern America, where it could go turnip shaped, but it's, it's really, it's about ego. If, if, if we can all put our egos aside and just say, hey, look, so I was able to negotiate for this. That doesn't mean that I'm better or uh, 
it does though. Well, sometimes you well, are more, you, sometimes you are more experienced, but. Sure. But I think that, uh, you know, but that's a separate conversation to me. I, I think that, you're right. yes, somebody who has had more experience, do they deserve to get paid more? Well, yeah, I think so. But I don't think that the person who has less experience doesn't deserve to make a living wage or, you know, or a fair wage, which is what happens in my in theater world a lot, where you'll have somebody mm-hmm. who's fresh out of school and they're making, you know, 150 bucks a week or something like that to be a, a, a an intern at this theater company or something like that. You know, that's not sustainable and that's not healthy and that's pretty much illegal. You know, everybody likes to try to find creative ways around it. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, it's pretty illegal. So so to me, it's, it's two separate conversations. You have that conversation of making sure that companies and employers are paying a livable wage and paying benefits that, that make it, uh, make it okay to make this your industry and to make this your lifestyle and your career. But there's a separate conversation about knowing, knowing your experience and knowing your, I don't like to say knowing your worth because everybody is worth, worth money and is worth paying, but, (laughs) but knowing what your experience brings to the table in terms of compensation and stuff like that, you know? I would never, you know, I couldn't walk in to, to some of the gigs you do and, and, and ask for the same rate that you do. Cause I don't have that experience in your part of the industry, right. you know, and I would, you know, I, I would feel uncomfortable doing that. But at the same time, I also know that I have to make a certain amount of money to live and to support my family at this point. And so I have to, <laughs> I have to plan accordingly. And, and yeah. we do, I don't know if it's a, if it's a male thing or if it's a, just an upper middle class thing, but I've always been taught that it's okay for me to negotiate. I've always been told that it's okay for me to walk away from the table. And I don't know if a lot of other people have been trained or given that privilege to, to say, no, you don't have to jump at every single thing that's offered to you. Oh, I think it's something you have to learn over time. I I do wish, you know, I do a lot of work in education and that's something I try to stress to any student group that I talk to, even if I'm just like doing like a one-off masterclass somewhere or something like that. I try to talk to them about this kind of thing and be like, listen, like you all can, you can, you can negotiate, you can talk about things. Cause I know a lot of people who they'll get an offer from a theater company or from a producer and they'll just think that, oh, this is what it is. And chances are, if you went back and maybe it's not money, but maybe you, maybe it's per, maybe a per diem increase or, or days or, you know, there's, there's other ways that you can do it, but a lot of people just don't know that that's the thing that you can do. And yeah, it does feel so natural to me. It's like, well, yeah, I'm, this doesn't work for me. I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm not just going to say yes or no, you know? And I've gotten to the point now where too, I am, I do value my time more than I used to, you know, I got married in the last year. And, uh, and, oh, thank you. And I, you know, so I'm like, I don't want to be necessarily gone for three or four weeks and being away from my wife and away from our cats and stuff like that. Like I would have five years ago or 10 years ago when I was single or just dating or something like that. And so it's like, I, I feel a little bit more empowered in my personal life now or empowered is the wrong word, but a little bit more, I guess, motivated to say, you know, I'm not going to do that. And if you can make it worth it for me to come do that, then I'll do it. But otherwise I'm not going to, I'm not going to miss out on that important time in my life to go light this show. That's, you know, not going to pay me enough money or not, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm actually just at the age now where I'm actually talking to people who have gotten offers and they've just threw out an exorbitant number, you know, 1500 a day to Mm -hmm. go do a production manager thing because they don't really want to do it. And sometimes, sometimes they bite. I know I've, oh my God. I mean, I have clients like that too, where I'll, you know, I hope none of them are listening to this right now, but they probably aren't, but you know, where I'm like, I don't want to do this project. So I will do that. I mean, I don't want to turn them down, you know, but I'll say something ridiculous like that. And then they'll say, okay, that sounds good. 
I'm like, oh, damn it. Okay. Damn well, it. great. Like, I'll do it. Like, I want the money, but I really was hoping you were gonna you were gonna say no. <laughs> like, oh man, I've been assisted. Yeah. I could have put on that one, but like, okay, I guess I I'm gonna get that money. You know. I know. Well, and that and that's what it's like. I look at my wife now. I'm like, and she's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I mean, we I'll, we'll take that money. <laughs> go go away for the go away for the two weeks. Whatever. I'll take the money. Or get that kid. money. Bring home some um, riches and uh, yeah. And I'll keep well, and that's you know, and as I as I you know as we come out of the COVID world and stuff like that, you know, I think it's forced a lot of us uh, across the entire production industry to do a little bit of rethinking of priorities and and kind of how our lives are structured and stuff. I know it has for me and a lot of my friends in the theater world, um, knowing that yeah, maybe it's not sustainable to do eight twelve hour days in a row with no break. Maybe that's not the best and healthiest thing for us all to do all the time. <laughs> and part of that for me is is starting to try to turn down turn down projects that aren't necessarily going to either, you know, I like to, it's the, the whole like fame, fortune or fulfillment thing. And you have to, you know, any gig you take has to meet at least one of those in order to be worth it. Fame, not necessarily meaning fame, but just, you know, it's going to help your career in some way fortune, meaning it's going to pay your bills in some way or fulfillment because it's something that you really want to do, or it's artistically fulfilling or something like that. So I, I really want to try to, to not take shows in projects that are not fitting one of one or more of those things. Oh, that's good. That's like the, the triangle you got to fit as yeah. long as your circle can get two of those, you, you can possibly take the gig. Yeah. So one of the Pandora's boxes that you slightly opened a second, I want to go down this one with you. <laughs> is that I am wide open when anybody asks for me, ask me, like I have worked for free many times in my industry, in this, in my career. And I consider mm -hmm. a lot of the times that I worked for free, my pathway to getting to where I am now, because I didn't have the experience mm -hmm. before. I didn't know things and I did learn them on gigs where I worked for free. And now I, I'm sometimes I turn around to people and I say, don't ever work for free, but I did it. And yeah. you have to know when, to do it and when not to do it. Yeah. Well, I think that this is also a, a, a cultural changing thing that has been happening in the last few years. And I think especially again, in my lens of the, just the theater world, it's been happening in overdrive in the last, in the last year, especially. Uh, and that's that, yeah, we all might've done that, but it doesn't mean that it was the right thing to do or the healthy thing to do for, for, the industry or for the people or for ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. um, my thing in the past, and I kind of always have been this way. I, I won't work for free for a producer, but like if a friend needed help with something like who was lighting something, then yes, I would come out and help them for a day or something like that. I'm happy to help people with those things, but I would, you know, yes, very early on in my career. And I say that early on as in like right after high school, going into college, sure. I would go work for, you know, hundred bucks for three weeks on a school show somewhere or something like that. But I don't know, I can't say that that was devaluing the positions or the industry in any way, because it's like, okay, I was working for a school here, you know, ultimately doesn't really matter. Um, mm -hmm. But in the professional world, the problem that I have with people working for free is that it just perpetuates this system of only the most privileged and most capable people of being uh, to be able to move forward, right? So like right. not every single, you know, a student coming out of college who might be really well off 
might, their family might have a lot of money. They might be doing fine. They could afford to take, you know, hundred dollars a week on a show or for, or whatever it might be, or work for free for a couple months. And yes, it's going to give them those skills that they need. Then it's going to then take them on to the next job and, and, and take their career forward. But if you've got some income, somebody coming out of school who is raising a, a small child on their own, or, you know, they don't have family money or they're not as privileged or as well off, they can't afford to take that that, that, that low paying show or to work for free. And so now they are, are at this disadvantage just starting out because they couldn't afford to, to do that stuff that the more privileged person can. And so, you know, it's, it's big in the theater world uh, and, and that is trying to make those opportunities more equitable for everybody. That's something I, I feel very passionately about too. No, and that kind of uh, and that launches me into the, you know, unpaid internships and everything else, but that's a separate conversation too. <laughs> No, this is, I think that uh, a perfect segue into that one, because I, I'm exactly the person who had to turn around and look at myself and like, no, I totally benefited from that was a privilege that I have to acknowledge that I had. And I didn't even, it's so easy for me to look at my, like, no, I clearly pulled myself up by my boots, bootstrap, but at the same time, like <laughs> yeah. my car insurance was paid for then. And I didn't have a, a kid at home and I didn't have yep you know, I didn't have to pay for my parents' medical bills or I didn't, there were so many things that I didn't have mm-hmm. that felt normal to me, but it was, now as I look back, that was clearly a privilege that was extended to yeah. me, not that I did by, my, by myself. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I'm in the exact same boat. You know, I had very supportive parents who would help me, you know, with whatever I needed. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily rely on them financially, but you know, I, I did, I had a, I had a pretty you know, pretty easy childhood and, and upbringing, all things considered. And, you know, I, I do, yes, I, I have worked very hard and I'm sure you did too, but we, it doesn't mean that we didn't already start out ahead, you know, mm-hmm. because of those privileges we had. And so that to me is where it, I, I, again, especially in the theater industry, like want to do everything I can to help bring those opportunities to those people who can't afford to go and, and work for free or, or, or do this for that. And then, I mean, it's part of a larger problem then too, because yes, if you then go work for free and, and you're displacing a professional in that geographic area or that region, all you are then doing is, is driving those wages down for everybody. You're creating this expectation of, of a cheaper product or, a, you know, or, or whatever. And that doesn't, it's not going to help you in the long run either. So you might get that show right away, but then now you've created this expectation that you can work for free or that you can work for little to no money. And what's going to happen in two years when you have another car payment, when you have a car payment or you have a, a kid or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's getting to me, it's about getting people to look at the bigger picture, uh, both collectively for between people. And also like, if you only care about yourself, then you should look at it the same way too, because you're only screwing yourself over later on down the road too. So. Yeah. I I don't think a lot of people are willing to look back and realize how much it costs to work for free. Yeah. It's expensive to work for free. There's a lot of things that, that money has to come from somewhere, you know? Yep. Um, the, the bulk of my working for free has been charity stuff and uh, you know, uh, summer internships for uh, for school but even then like there was the the guest designers that came in the way we're all you know we were all there what we felt like was for for the art of it but you know it's called show business for a reason somebody still had to be making money off of our labor yeah exactly that's exactly right and you know to me if if your theater company 
is ran primarily by a staff of interns who are making 75 bucks a week, hundred bucks a week, you know, then you need to re you just need to rethink your, your entire business model. Like if that, if that is your labor staff, like then you're not, you can't, you shouldn't be calling yourself a professional company. Like it just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't track for me. Um, and I, you know, and I, and I've, I've broken up with companies who, who have been like that, you know, there's, there's a, a well, relatively well-known theater and I've called them out on my social media before for it, where almost their entire production staff is made up of young interns who they pay 70, I think it's up to $125 a week now, you know, of course they house them and all that kind of stuff, but you start adding up you add up all of those things and it still comes out to something like two or $3 an hour when it's all said and done. And, you know, if that's your, your entire staff is that then no, like it just, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing, you know, figure out a way to make your company profitable. That doesn't rely on <laughs> exploitation of young people. Just come on. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I'm with you that one. And that's exactly what we were just discussing is that that requires some transparency. So if all it takes is a couple of people in that industry to go like, Hey, you're just need an insider or an outsider to come in and say, Hey, this is not the best deal. And not even in this area, like you could just yeah. go across the street to the, the rock bar and make three times yeah. this, you know, you guys yeah, are more exactly. doing it. This, uh, this idea in our industry of paying your dues and, and all that kind of thing. And I think that that is true. Like, I think you do, like you do have to work your way up and you do have to, to prove, you know, to, to network and prove your worth and stuff like that. But that doesn't to me mean that you should be coming in and working for free for a year or for whatever it is. And, and, you know, and disregarding your health and the safety and your safety and all that kind of stuff, just to be able to prove yourself or to, you know, I, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that that's a, a good way to, to have a, to, to make an industry or to make a career, you know? Uh, I'm going to totally let my liberal flag fly here, but <laughs> I get so upset at the people saying that we should not cancel student debt because you sh you have to pay your dues. And, you know, yeah. if you end up getting something for free, it only takes away from somebody who had to work harder for that. And then I totally oh. disagree I feel like a lot of these students have been preyed upon and they've been taken advantage of and we need to make it right. We need to, you know, correct yeah. our, our, you know, we need to apologize for our past atrocities. And when I hear people saying that we should not cancel it, I'm like, no, just because you yeah. got screwed doesn't <laughs> mean we need to continue screwing people to make you feel better about getting screwed. Yep. No, I'm with you 100% there. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's, that kind of sums up our conversation right now. I think it's like, yeah, just because you you had it that way doesn't mean that it was the right way or the sustainable way. So let's make it better for other people. It's the whole, and that what we're supposed to be doing in general. We're supposed to be making things better for the people who come after us. So, <laughs> so why not? I was not? told that's a, it's yeah. a really good idea to help yeah. the, the next seven generations. Yeah. Well, that goes back to my, my days in, in Boy Scouts of, you know, uh, leave the campsite cleaner than you found it. You know, <laughs> it's the same idea. You know, I'm, I want to, when I'm, when I'm in a place, if it, if it happens to be that I'm working in a particular region or something like that, more than others, I, I want to leave that region or leave that theater company a little bit better than I found it. Um, and, you know, if it's a one-off contract, then, Hey, maybe there's not much I can do there, but if it's going to be a recurring thing, and that, then I, I tried, I, you know, I want to be a part of helping other people and not just even in the lighting part of it. You know, we, I make friends, we make friends with the people on the sound team, we make people friends with the people on stage management and stuff like that. And we're like, Hey, you, they're taking care of you here. Right. You know, and, and stuff. And we have those conversations and we, we try to just make sure that everybody is, is 
is being taken care of. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to, to end this podcast. That was the perfect summary <laughs> of everything that we've been just discussing. Thank you so much for taking the time, Mike. This has been really great. I yeah. really look forward to having this conversation in person. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been um, been really fun. I love, I really love talking about this and and being open and transparent with people. I, I love my big thing is again, it's it's about the younger people and it's about this next generation that's coming in. And I I obviously try to do what I can with my current colleagues and my friends here, but if I can inspire somebody that was in my shoes 15 years ago to look at things a little bit differently or to approach things in a, in a different or healthier way than I, you know, then I feel like I've succeeded in, in helping or in passing that down. You know what I mean? Um, makes me feel good. I think that's the idea that we're hoping to spread here today. Thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. 